0: We're back to the Neil Haley show and my guest today is Grammy nominated recording artist Reese Palmer. Reese, thanks for stopping by and uh I know that you've been busy, right? And we're going to kind of talk about how your career started and everything, but it's a busy time for you, especially after COVID and and you can perform now and there's so many more things going on, isn't there?
1: Oh, yeah. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah, no, it's <laughs> it's been busy, to say the least, but that's a good thing.
0: Exactly. So let's talk about, did you always want to be a recording artist growing up?
1: Yeah, I knew from a very early age that I wanted to um, to be a singer. Once I learned that that was a job that you could have and you could actually get paid to do it, then I was, I was like, well, sign me up. Where
0: do we, <laughs> where can I, where can I do it? No, definitely. So let's just, you know, jump back and specifically enough that you, when did you figure out your talent you said get paid, but when did you say that talent came into place? I think that when I knew that I had something going in, I guess in radio was that, and, and pro- podcasting was when I just continued to get bigger stars and then I was mm-hmm. monetizing it. And I said, okay, this is something I can do. As a profession, as a career, uh, when when did you kind of know you had the talent to do this?
2: Um,
1: that was another thing. Like it's just been like from the earliest memories I have as a child it was always music involved, and um, I always loved to sing. I always loved to make up little songs and do that. And then when I was like four. I, um, I started singing in the church choir and I would watch people's reactions to me singing. And I loved being in front of people. I love the, the aspect of performing. And I loved like, I just loved singing. And so I think when I realized, like when I knew for sure I was a teenager and I was singing in a group called Team 11, I'm from St. Louis. And um Team Eleven was like a the 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 closest thing that I can compare it to that I think most people would understand is like Mickey Mouse Club during the nineties, like the late nineties, um up to like the early two thousands when um they hired a bunch of teenagers and they would have them come and sing cover songs and and that sort of thing. And so Team Eleven was that sort of thing in st louis we were hired by a local television station and in the summer we would host the television like introduce the television shows before they came on and we would do like a christmas special and um and we would perform at cardinals games and at six flags and you know the missouri state fair and all these different things and so When I realized, number one, I was a good singer was when I auditioned and I got the part and just watching the crowd when I performed. And so then I knew that that was what I wanted to do for the rest of my life.
0: It's just like you have that passion, like, okay, the rush of the crowd. Now, this is me as a former professional wrestler. This is the thing I miss that I've not had is there's just some sort of, there's nothing about performing in front of a live audience, right? It just, the rush is unbelievable, isn't
1: it? 100%. No, it's like, it's like a, it's like a momentary, like when you're on stage, I, the best way I can describe it is like, you're just like one, like everybody's kind of breathing on the same accord when it's going well, (laughs) I'll say, let me preface it that way. When it's going well, like everybody's on the same page. You're kind of on the same wavelength. There's like a, I don't want to sound, you know, super esoteric, but there is like a spiritual connection, I think, I feel when all the, when everything, when you're hitting on all the right cylinders, all the right notes, and everybody's on board with what it is that you're doing, the crowd is feeling you and you're feeling them it's, it's magical. I don't know how else to describe it.
0: That magicalness is just such a powerful thing because it's just then. So then when you figured that out you said, okay, I'm doing this full time, did you kind of add some more training to it, more time to it to get it to the next level, especially when you knew you had
2: sure.
1: it? Well, you know, again, going back to when I was a kid, I, um, I wanted to do everything that had to do with singing and with being on stage and becoming a professional. And so I was really lucky when I was in fourth grade. um, My music teacher was a former Broadway performer and star. And um, he had come back to the small town that he was from to teach. And so he became my vocal coach. I started taking piano lessons like in five. And, um, you know, any creative writing classes I could take, I did. And um, I did musical, like, they're not like beauty pageants. They're um, they're called talent pageants. I started doing that as a teenager. I was in theater, community theater, theater at school. Pretty much any extracurricular thing that you could do that had to deal with performance or music or singing, um, I would beg my parents. To be involved in, and I was. So you know, private guitar lessons, all of that. I did that. I mean, I still take voice lessons to this day, just to keep my 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 instrument healthy. But um, yeah, I've it's enrichment, education, enrichment of my art has been something that I've done since I was like five years old.
0: How did it feel to have a Grammy nomination? How did that for all the <laughs> hard work you put in in your career? to have that like moment to say I was recognized as a nominee.
1: Well, it was a really proud moment. I mean, I, it's something that I think every musician um, works hard for and works towards. And so this Grammy nomination in particular, I actually got two in the same year um, and they were for children's music. And children's music was something that I came to kind of late in my career. Um, I have two children. I have a 12-year-old and a 4-year-old. And when my 12-year-old was a baby, I put out a children's record just to be able to take her to gigs with me and, and to do, you know, to be able to have that part of my life um nourish being becoming a mother and and having a child and you know listening to children's music together and that sort of thing so to have something that i was really looking at as just something fun and like a a side project to be the thing that got me my grammy nomination was pretty was pretty wild so it you know it taught me a lesson in that to follow all those wild hairs that i Find myself like things that I'm interested in that aren't necessarily a part of what everyone would expect of me or what I would expect from things. You know, it often ends up being the thing that catches on and the thing that you know gets you to that next place.
0: It takes you to that next level, takes you to that next part of uh, yeah a dream. And that was you know you were talking about St. Louis, but I saw you were born. Uh, and Swickley in Pittsburgh. So shout out to Pittsburgh again, cause I'm in Pittsburgh. I was in Dallas, Texas before, but now back in Pittsburgh and you know, there's something about Pittsburgh and uh, this is a a powerful place just to kind of, you know, family oriented. And I guess a lot of people famous come from Pittsburgh and go, there you go. You you add to that list, right?
1: Yeah, no, I like, and, and, and big shout out to Pittsburgh because that's where, I mean, that's where I started singing. That's, My mother took me, I mean, my first concerts were at the Civic Arena, which doesn't exist anymore, but, you (laughs) know, I, (laughs) yeah, no, I was, this was, this was, I was born in 1981, so 80s Pittsburgh, and I was there until, I'm trying to think, 1993 was when my family left Pittsburgh for good. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, most of my formative years that the church that I talked about singing in, that was in Swickley. that was in Pittsburgh.
0: That's that's crazy. And that's that's the uh, thing. And then we move on, but we always uh, remember Pittsburgh and like I'm here now, but who knows where I'll be next in this uh, crazy journey in my life. Um, I think that, you know, all this uh, thing, I think one thing I think that you really feel great about is the country music carrying a baton for mm-hmm. that that's gotta feel good, right? Especially where, yeah. where country music's going and how you kind of let are leading the way in certain aspects to bring uh more culture to the, this this genre.
1: Well you know I think I look at it like country music is you know everybody always talks about it's quintessentially American music, right? Right. Well, what's more American than the story of how we all came here in different ways and were brought here or came here and the ways that our cultures intermingled and created several different types of music, several different types of um, of sounds, and you know, country music is just that. You had all these different cultures, Celtic and European and African, come together to create this music that we now think of as, you know America's music, as the sound of of America. And I look at my work as adding to that, as enhancing making more colorful, if you will, the, the, the story, because it it includes all of us and we should think of it that way. And, you know, if I can do, if anything that I'm doing helps to change the way we think about it and make it into a more complete picture, then, you know, I'll be satisfied.
0: What is your ultimate goal? You want to get that Grammy someday, right? It has to be. Oh,
1: hell Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I, my goals are, I, I have, I have two different sets of goals. I have my, my musical aspirations for me personally. And then I have my cultural aspirations and like, you know, for me musically, I want to, I said this in 2019 and it is, and it is held true. Um, I just want to be able to do cool things with cool people. I want to make things that I'm really proud of. I want to make music that makes people think, that makes people feel, and, you know, definitely win Grammys and sell records, and that would be awesome, but, like, you know, on the other side of that is legacy, and, like, you know, I want my legacy to be that I made, I helped to make other artists, newer artists, I helped to make the way easier for them,
0: well, and I, yeah. make it
1: a little less confusing, yeah, so.
0: No, I definitely, you got to be, Pittsburgh has to be proud of another uh, great celebrity that has made it and you're going to make it even bigger. What are your latest projects? What's going on with you now?
1: Well, thank you. Um, well, I'm about to um, I just sign with new management and with a uh, new booking agent, which is amazing. And so um, we're in the process now of, Releasing just a small EP to reintroduce some of the music to the marketplace. Um, And I'm working on a new album right now that I'm hoping to have out next year. And just planning for next year, like what what touring is going to look like and and all of that. And, you know, trying to I do a radio show as well for Apple Music and um, we're about to enter into our third season. Which is wild, and um, you know, I'm I'm getting ready to take five artists to Europe next week, and um, to perform at a um, a a country music Americana festival in uh, right outside of London. So you know, very excited. Like a lot of stuff. It's it's a lot, but it's really fun stuff that I'm really excited about. So yeah, we're we're just I'm just we're moving along.
0: That's exciting for sure, and uh, we're definitely going to have to have a part two. But for you to be on Zoom with us, for sure, to do the television, oh, show, especially in Pittsburgh. So we're going to definitely have to get that set up. And I have another syndicated show as well I book for that's got a really big audience to talk, and uh, especially with you know your your roots, uh, not just in country, but uh, you know adding the Christian component and all that. We definitely have to have uh some more opportunities to get you out there working where where's the place people can find information and follow you and all that where, do, sure. where, where should they go
1: well first of all thank you so much again for having me um you can go to reeseypalmer.com or reeseypalmermusic.com and it will take you to the same place and um i'm on all the socials and uh everything is reesey palmer official reesey palmer music official and um yeah you can find me there
0: well, you're fabulous. Thanks again for stopping by and thanks for taking the time in your busy schedule.
1: No, thank you. This has been fun.
0: Absolutely. All right. You're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the special simulcast of The Neil Haley Show and The Love Is Podcast in part two with my interview with Reese. But I'm going to go this pass right over to Mike, the host of The Love Is Podcast, Kim Sorrell. Kim, how are you? And I know you're excited about our guests.
3: Yeah, Neil, I am great, and I am. I am so excited. Reese Palmer is resilient, groundbreaking, fabulous in every way. The host of uh, Color Me Country radio show. You've been to the Opry. You've been to the White House. You've done so many things. Revival, I love, love, love. The album Seeds, my favorite song right now of all time, I think. Reese, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here.
2: Yeah, I'm so glad that you're here.
3: By the way, thank you. Yeah, so, yeah, so glad that you're here to join us. I am such a fan. Uh, You, I just admire you in so many different ways. And one of the things that, that I admire about you is you are who you are. Like you, you talk about things that other people would not. You address things that should be addressed, but other people would be afraid to address. And you're not afraid of it. You just do what you want to do. And I love that. I love that, that you have that freedom, that you feel that freedom because you're that gifted and that talented. You should do whatever it is you want to do. And Seeds, man, watching that music video broke my heart. Like I was tearing up watching that video and and uh, love seems to be just kind of woven in everything that you do. And so I'm curious, like in in writing seeds and doing the video and and doing all of that. uh, How did that feel for you emotionally? Like, what, what was it like?
4: Um, well, first of all, thank you um, for saying that. I, so I I am from uh, Pittsburgh, as Neil mentioned, I was born in Pittsburgh, but um, I spent I spent part of my childhood um, in St. Louis. And in 2014, um, a young man by the name of Michael Brown was murdered in Ferguson, Missouri. And there was a subsequent uprising in that neighborhood. And so, you know, people that I grew up with were posting about this before it made it to national news. And I remember like watching all of this unfold like from day one up until, you know, when they decided that um, they weren't going to take the police officer um, to trial, and you know everything that happened after that. And I remember being, I remember feeling very sad and feeling very frustrated, and then wanting to, um, wanting to say something in the midst of everything that was going on, but like not really being sure what to say. And so I wanted to. I always tend to kind of lean towards the positive and so i appreciate you saying that that there's like there's that you feel a threat of love because i try to always um perpetuate that and to to make sure that's where i'm coming from um and it was hard for a really long time and then i saw this quote and it was just it was a great quote it, it just fit the moment and it was that they tried to cut us down but they didn't know that we were seeds and i think So many of the people in Ferguson and and so many people as we saw, you know, in in the summer of 2020, just feel like disenfranchised, they they feel frustrated, they feel um, unheard, and that felt like that quote was empowering. And it was the kind of message that I felt like people needed to hear in that moment. And so it's like, regardless of what the circumstances are, regardless of what outside forces see you as or want you to be, you are who you are, and um, and it's and, and and nothing can take that away from you. And so that's um, that's where my heart was and where my head was when we wrote seeds and I just wanted it to be something that um called people to action but it also empowered people because I Mm -hmm. think in a lot of ways you don't really feel empowered in those moments and so I just wanted to remind everybody that no no you have power
3: yeah and you did so in such a beautiful way I I love it it's you. perfect
0: you know, and I, I, Kim, I just think that what Risi able to do is she really is groundbreaking in so many aspects, and that's what makes her the the star that she is today because she can really relate to those fans. Would you agree, Risa Risi? That okay. that's it. yeah, absolutely. All right, Kim. Next question you have, Risi?
3: Yeah. So um, I I love everything you have to say, and it's so true. I mean, we we live in this time of. Um, turmoil unfortunately and polarization in so many ways but it's really kind of love that brings us together and that does seem to be your message that it's about you know people are people all over the world you know we're all walking on the same earth we're all just people and we should be in this more together and when i listen to your songs they feel uniting and i i you know i don't know if you write them to make them feel like that but man um, there's just something about him that it just feels like there. it's music for everyone and music can bring us together. Yeah, Would no. It- I,
4: the power, yeah, music is, is extremely powerful in that way. And yeah, I do. Like... <laughs> Sometimes I don't feel like that, like, I don't always, I can't say that I wake up every morning and I'm just like, let's unite everyone. But like, <laughs> I, I I think the overwhelming thing is, again, I'm an optimist. I'm a, I'm a cautious optimist, but I'm an optimist. And I believe, um, I believe wholeheartedly that the only way we're going to get out of any mess and this mess in particular that we're in this country's in right now is together. That's the only way we're going to make it out is together.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally agree with that. You know, you call yourself an optimist. I'm an optimist and I was married for a number of years. My husband passed away a few years ago and, and he was a pessimist, but he would say that, that he was a realist and that Mm -hmm. I live in la la land. (laughs) So (laughs) I think sometimes maybe, maybe I uh, put my foot over into la la land, but what a better way to live. I mean, you know, I think we get to pick how happy we are. Right. And we get to pick how much we love and how much we share in the world. And uh, and so, you know, to, to pick joy, to choose that and choose to be happy. You've been through some crap in your life. and And look at you. I mean, you started singing at such a young age. You've had such a career that's had some ups and downs one point in time you were thinking about throwing in the towel all together, I think, you know, after your yeah. daughter was born and, uh, but, but nothing can hold you back because you've got this God given beautiful talent that you need to share with the world. So I, for one, am happy that you didn't throw in the towel that you're here and you're sharing it, but I know that there's lots and lots of me's out there. And, uh, going through the tough times, what does that do for you as a songwriter? Does it, does it change what you write? Is anything had, you know, does does everything that goes on in your life influence what goes on paper?
4: Oh, yeah. No, I I write um, 100% from experience. Um, so, yeah, no, the good, the bad, the the ugly all ends up, <laughs> for better or for worse, ends up in a song. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, it definitely, life definitely influences my art. For sure. For sure. I, I I find it hard to write about anything that I I don't experience or or just relate to very deeply. It's it's hard for me to find a way into it. Mm-hmm. I know some people are really great at that. Like there are people that can write just really great stories. Mm-hmm. Um I'm not. <laughs> I'm not that person. Like yeah. I just that's not my strength. My strength is um is kind of once I'm able to gain a little bit of perspective on something then I can step back and I can try to write as honestly as I can about it. And, and
0: yeah. that you're doing both, right? Cause everyone's now there's songwriters and then there's singers. A lot right. of people aren't doing both anymore.
5: Why no, is that?
4: it's true? And like, you know, when I, when I came to Nashville, um, it's, it's actually, it's, a, it's a lot more common now. Um, Than it was like when I first got started. Like when I came to Nashville in the early 2000s and worked on my debut album, I was one of the few artists that had a hand in writing pretty much everything on the album. Um, and 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 I remember because I was signed to an indie. Um, a lot of the majors were like, "Well, we'd have to find other songs, and we'd have to do this and that." and you know i'm very thankful that the record label that i was assigned to um believed in my songs enough to let it go with with me as a writer on everything so yeah it's it's important to me it's hard to sing something if you can't relate to it
0: yeah that's almost like an actor having but they have to do it they have to go to what who the writer is but they do spin. but they do put their spin on acting i was talking to an actor today about it, uh, Costas Mandelore. And he was talking about specifically enough how certain amazing people like Sir Anthony Hopkins, they took he takes the idea of whatever the writer wants, but creates that character in his own mm-hmm. to make it what it is for sure. Yeah, uh,
4: yeah. I mean, there are some people like, you know, and I don't want to downplay singers that don't write because I think there's an art to being a great interpreter as well. I just, Mm. just for me personally, like, you know, some people, like Whitney Houston didn't necessarily write every song that she sang, but she was an incredible interpreter. And so, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting, I guess. And, you know, a lot of our favorite artists, a lot of the iconic artists weren't necessarily songwriters, but they were phenomenal, you know, what you said, Neil, they were phenomenal actors, phenomenal interpreters.
3: All right. yeah that makes that makes a lot of sense it's um it's so true and it and it's like it's two different talents uh, and if you happen to have both of them it's wonderful but uh, writing is different than singing and so to to be able to do both is pretty incredible
0: absolutely Kim you have that final question you always ask ask our guests go ahead with that question.
3: yeah so uh so I lived a year. Um, believe it or not. I dedicated a year to figuring out the true meaning of love and mm. and I did it I figured it out. I was in Haiti most of the year when I was doing it So it was crazy. I was chased by a motorcycle gang. Oh my gosh, some crazy stuff happened But I'm always curious recently if I had to ask you how do you define love? What would you say? Oh my
4: god <laughs> I was gonna say you know the answer so I want to know um <laughs> Well, I how do I define love? I this is you don't know how right on time this question is, Um, and so like give me just <laughs> I'm trying to find the words because I'm I'm in the process of kind of redefining what I thought it was. I you know um, throughout my youth and uh, in my 20s I thought it was one thing, and now that I'm in my 40s, I. I see it very differently. Um I think love is number one a choice. It's a choice that you make on a daily basis. Um just like I think happiness is in some in some mm-hmm. shapes and forms. Um I think it is acceptance. And what I mean by that is like it's like an unconditional acceptance. Like Meaning I see you, I see all of you, like I see the person or I see the thing and I see all of it, I see the negative, I see the positive, and I know how those things affect me and 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 the relationship, whatever the relationship is, this doesn't necessarily just mean like man, woman, romantic or whatever. Um, but I choose it and I and I accept it. And um yeah, I mean, that's all I got right now, I think. I like it, no, I like that's it. Great. Yeah. That's that's, no, great. I, I think
2: that's it's, really good. I think
4: it's unconditional acceptance.
0: All right. Yeah, well
3: I'll send you a book and then you'll know all about it. Yes. Okay, I would love that, thank yeah, you. Yeah, me. we'll, we'll definitely it.
0: get that, definitely off there. Uh, Reese, where's the best place people can check you out? Social media, all that stuff, the best place? Sure,
4: mm-hmm. um, My so well my website is recypalmer.com or recypalmermusic.com, goes to the same place. And then everything else is Reese Palmer Music or Reese palmer official on tiktok youtube uh uh all the, the, all brus- the, brus- the social faces instagrams all that
0: all right Reese, we appreciate it thanks again thanks y'all all right that was the special you. The neil haley show and the love is podcast Ask, Here, Care. we're back to neil haley show i'm excited to welcome to the program my co-host paul hollis author of the hollow man series and seniors publishing how are you paul and who are you excited about our guests today because i go back i as so many years ago when I first started in radio, and now we're back together again. But go ahead, Paul, introduce our guest.
2: Uh, I'm, I'm very excited today. We have <clears throat> Sean Mitchell, and he is not only an author, but a, a wonderful hip-hop guy. And uh, and we want to learn
0: way more about this interesting man. <laughs> so, Sean, here's we're going to talk about your new book and that. But you got me some pretty amazing artists on the show back in the day we co-hosted. And man those are they they're they're like the epic ones and you were impressed about my hip hop knowledge weren't you Sean
6: Right absolutely absolutely yes. I mean
0: back in the day because trust me I was listening to Wamo back in the day at 3 a.m. when they had the music and man hip hop and all those things I'm trying to remember I know we had one of the people from uh the Fat Boys on I oh, forgot all the different yes. people we had I got, and I got yeah. those shows somewhere in the archive of the celebrity <laughs> interviews, and we've
6: gone far advanced. But tell me specifically what's happening to you now, man. What's new? Oh, wow. Right now, I, I have the uh, new album out. It's called The X Factor. So it's it's an instrumental hip-hop album. So what I'm trying to do with the instrumental hip-hop, I'm trying to expand the genre and, uh, and try to appeal to an older audience that's, that kind of grew up with hip-hop. And a lot of my peers, you know, we don't really care for some of the language in some of today's music. And so I'm creating an alternative style of hip hop so that the older hip hop heads like myself and yourself, you know, we can have a a style of hip hop to listen to uh, that's more conducive towards our age group. Yeah. That's huge
0: because think about it, we are just into the stuff that was the beginning the right. beginning of hip-hop, the music yeah. that really made this genre, right? And yeah. made it where it is today. And what are young people today not understanding it, man? What's happening?
6: Yeah, you know, down the road, you know, over the years, because uh, when it came first came out in 1979, you know, there were um, different, um, you have small labels like Sugar Hill Records, you had Def Jam, you had Profile and a couple of, smaller labels like, um, Bobby Robinson had the enjoy label coming out of Harlem though. That was the beginning of hip hop in terms of the records. And over the years, I think, uh, as it expanded and gained popularity, I think it crossed different lines in terms of corporate America. And then other people that weren't involved in the, uh, originating hip hop sort of came in and looked at it as a money grab. And so people started using uh, the music for shock effect and saying different things that would get attention in order to boost their record sales. And so it kind of got watered down from uh, from its beginning. So, you know, the era that uh, we came up with, you know, you could dance, you could party and you didn't have to worry about no one talking about shooting guns and getting stabbed. And and so
0: you think itself. that was gimmick then?
6: It was really oh, gimmicked. A- absolutely, when that first when that first came, a
0: Crew and then NWA, all that's gimmick
6: yes. stuff, bro. Yes, that's how it started out. Now, as as the gimmick gained popularity, it brought in certain artists that had um, a background coming from the streets, and so they tried to actualize it in the music but it started out as a gimmick yeah it absolutely started out as a gimmick it was a way to say something that would grab people's attention and get the media looking at it because now you could and i give you a perfect example uh you brought up Luke Skywalker and the Two Live Crew yeah their first album came out and went gold it sold half a million copies once they came out and got the media attention about the sex, uh, it was basically porno on music or porno on wax is what they called it. And after all the media attention, the album sells their next album as nasty as they wanna be. It sold two million copies. And so you went from a half a million going gold to two million going double platinum. The Kings, way, yeah, right. (laughs) Figured out, yes, yes, yes. So people figured out that if you say certain things, that's gonna grab attention from the media. And NWA did it totally. I mean, that, just
0: uh, absolutely. So you have another book out too, right? What's up? Oh, yeah, I have
6: another book out because I try to incorporate activism with my uh, hip, with hip hop. And so I kind of do what the Public Enemy, Kumo D, and some of those artists do in terms of trying to reach uh, the African-American audience and trying to inspire them, uh, give them some uh, positive information that will sort of uh, help change our conditions for the better, as opposed to making music that would um, exploit uh, the struggles that a lot of our people are dealing with on the streets. You know, guys can talk about in their music, they can talk about the game culture, but what are they saying to try to correct the game culture? And so that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to make music, uh, continue making hip hop, but I'm also trying to come out with a positive message that would try to uplift people and try to change the conditions as opposed to just talking about it and trying Mm -hmm. to sell uh, records based on exploiting the uh, conditions that a lot of our people are in. Okay. Yeah. yeah.
5: When when that,
6: that, that book came out when? That book came out about two months ago actually. It's called Afro Spirituality. So it's trying to incorporate a spiritual aspect to the consciousness of people so that we can try to improve their lives and make things a little bit better. Yeah, so trying to get people, keep people from going to jail and from joining gangs as opposed to exploiting it in the music. Right. and talk about guns and that type of thing yeah well i got a person definitely i'm gonna bring you
0: on uh, uh my friend uh, damon harvard cowboy 347 he has smarter by the day podcast he'll love having you on and we're working together on some specific joint ventures i got things moving we're moving man and, 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 and right. very soon the media giant is going full effect i would All just right. give All it right. maybe a week and you put the. And you're going to see something really big happening. So, Sean, oh, right. here's the thing, man. How are you connected all those hip art- artists that we were interviewing? Was it based on your first book that you built all those relationships,
6: like from the Fat Boys and all that stuff kind of go into that? Right, right. It, it was based on uh, people that I met through the years doing hip-hop music as well as writing the book. I met new people writing the book. I've met other artists since then. Uh, in fact, I was going to surprise you and bring on J.J. Fab with me right now. Uh, and I thought about it and I was like, well, maybe I'll do that the next time. But uh, yeah, I uh, I just did the, uh, you know, I write articles on the 50th anniversary of hip hop for USA Today. So we just came out with a hip hop fashion article in the USA Today. So if you... Can get a chance to get the print edition of usa today go check it out i have the article in there i interviewed pete nice from third base uh van silk kumo d dmc and run dmc uh i had a lot more artists that they had to edit out because there wasn't enough space in the article to put everybody i had in there <laughs> but i had a lot more articles and uh but yeah, I was actually going to surprise you with J.J. Fad. But what I'll do is the next time we we um, we set something up, I'll have them on as a guest. And they, they actually, you know, I kind of got to give them a shout out anyway, because once I had a, a wonderful interview with J.J. Fad for the hip hop article, and once they edited they took everything out. So <laughs> you got to so make yeah. sure you make it sure it happened another
0: way. Best place, right, exactly. song where people can go find you where can they go yes.
6: actually facebook right now i'm in the process of trying to work on a, a rebuild my uh, website which will be SeanXLG.com. So so, yes, yes yeah, yeah yeah so i'm trying to get that back and ju- just trying to do some social media and and still still create new music and uh my new album the x factor is gaining momentum of course. Uh, so if you get a chance to go on YouTube, check it out, check out the album. Uh So it's doing really well right now. But of course, you know, everything when you're independent, you know, it, everything takes time. It takes money. It takes effort. And you have to reach out and connect with other people to try to get things going. So.
0: All right. We appreciate it, Sean. Take yeah. care, sir. All right. You're right.
6: You too. Do a listening All and right. watching The Neil
0: Haley Show. And we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to the Neil Haley Show, and I'm excited. to Welcome first my co-host Paul Hollis, author of the Holloman series and CEO of Seniors Publishing and Holloman Publishing. How are you, Paul? And you're excited about our guest today?
2: Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm very excited. To, we have uh, Mark Tillett here, uh, but his fans are going to know him by his pen name of uh, MTT. And so, uh, welcome, Mark. You're going to tell us all about your new book, I think, and uh, and we're going to go from there.
5: Thank you. Well, I have two books. I had one published last year, and it's called One Man's Love for One Woman, and um, this is the cover of it. Okay. Very and nice. also, I just had my second and third book, which is two books in one, and this is the cover of it, if you can see it.
0: Yep, great. Oh, wow. Okay. And
5: so what inspired game. you to write
0: those books, Mark?
5: Um, Well, it was from a previous relationship that I was in for four years. And um, it just went astray on her part. And, I mean, I didn't give my heart away for over 30 years to someone. And, unfortunately, she was it (laughs) that I gave it to. And she was uh, a cheater and a liar and uh, abusive. And very disrespectful, as her kids were. Disrespectful. And so within those four years that I was with her, I was trying to get out of the relationship, but had no place to go. So I had to stay in the relationship until I had a place to go. So
0: would you say, Mark, was it narcissistic in a lot of ways? You're yep. the ex?
5: Very narcissistic.
0: So, what kind of things did you see from the beginning when you thought the relationship was going to be great? Because a lot of people get really excited about that initial start of a relationship, especially if it's another relationship after a marriage, right? Second, or, 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 you know, a rebound where they don't really understand what they're getting themselves into. They're just going with the flow because that's as human beings, we do that. At first, yeah. did it seem like it was going to be great, Mark?
5: Well, I see through. Her own personal pain of uh, being abandoned as a child because she was adopted. Her father didn't want her. Her mother didn't want her. Even her uh, adopted mother didn't really want her. So um, every guy that she's been with, she uh, has cheated on him. And um, when her late husband was on his deathbed, she was out cheating on him. So, um, that same year of his death, I lost my second oldest boy. He was 20 years old. And so, we are both kind of in dark places. We met four months later after her late husband passed away and started a relationship. So, as I said, I seen the good in her. I knew what she could have been. But she, her herself, didn't see it. She was more in love with the thing of being in love than being actually in love
0: with someone because what we do is we try we have the florence nightingale syndrome we want to change somebody or we also want to change it's not what we want to change we want to feel for their pain feel for things that they go through and think that they're going to change and it just didn't change for you mark right no i
5: didn't not so at all
0: first you were in love for a second what started happening after that because you know, I'm starting to study narcissistic relationships and talk about them uh, with certain people that I've had conversations with while I've been dating after uh, breaking up with an ex. So tell me specifically enough what you see some of these narcissistic relationships. Like what stuff did you see from her, from her abandoned stuff? I know the cheating, but what about narcissists? How did she tear you down at times, Mark?
5: Because she would tell you, tell me what I wanted to hear from her and not me- actually meaning it. And after a while, after she gets tired with someone, she'll go online and find somebody else to get that high that narcissists thrive for. Because they always want to want to be high on a new relationship or whatever type of relationship that it is. And with narcissists, they will keep jumping back and forth from the person that they're with to another person to get that high. And also that they will play um, mind games with you. They'll manipulate you into thinking that you're it for them and there's nobody else, you know, the whole nine yards. So it's basically just a mind game for them.
0: So, you got to escape out of that relationship, and that's why you've written these two books. What are these two books kind of telling people to teach them?
5: It's, I'm hoping that they learn from it that, you know, what they see and what they feel is not exactly what it is sometimes. Because through the manipulation part of a relationship, is that one person will treat their partner good to a sense. Make them believe, like I said, that they're the only one, but also have somebody on the back burner to run to when things might be a little bit rocky or, you know. So you can't change a narcissist person because they will never change. And then when you come into the narcissism syndrome, which people in a narcissistic relationship suffer from. And that's a very long healing process. And as I read on it, that it doesn't go away. It stays with it's the hard
0: for the person that was in in a, in a relationship with the narcissist to get out of it and to recover from it. And the reason is, is is, and this is something you didn't talk about, Mark, but I'm sure that when you look it back is they bring you, they love bomb you, they get you to a certain high then they start to tear you down about specific things. And they tear you down, tear you down, tear you down, tear you down, tear you down. down. And if you decide to continue to be torn down, they will discard you. But if you get rid of them before that, they do that. So this is from talking to specific people that I have dated online that has dated narcissists and also clients have told me these stories. So the book is hopefully to tell people you, got to, you can't judge a book by its cover. You really have to go inside that book and figure out, is there any tendencies or things to be concerned about? So you can't have complete trust with, not, with people like your ex, it sounds like.
5: Exactly. Because you can't trust them because no matter what they'll do, they'll use their jobs, they'll use uh, their friends to uh, meet new people like going out to nightclubs or restaurants to the bars to meet new people. They'll even use uh, dating apps or hookup sites to meet other people. And that's what a narcissist person, from what I read, does. And that's also what I have experienced with her. Oh, wow. (laughs) So, I mean, it's pretty heavy, but I do have another book. Hopefully, they're going to come out next year. Um, it's a tell-all story of the whole relationship from start to finish. She lied to me from the very first night to the very end when she pulled the gun on me. So <laughs> that's another thing with narcissists—they're very abusive.
0: Oh my gosh! Well, at least you're recovering from that, and you found true love, right? Yes, that's the that's the end of the story that makes the story great. It's your found true love. So where's the best place people can find information on you, purchase your book, and learn more about you?
5: You can um, find the books on Amazon.com, on Prime. And also, there's an ebook, book um, which is a little bit cheaper than the uh, copper prices, from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, um, mom and pop stores, bookstores, Target, Walmart, all those stores there.
0: All right. Well, we appreciate it, sir. Thanks again for stopping by. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right. You're listening and watching The Neil Haley Show, and we'll be back in just a moment. We're back to The Neil Haley Show, and I'm excited to welcome first to my co-host, Paul Hollis, author of the Hollow Man series and CEO of Seniors Publishing. Paul, I know you're excited about our guest today.
2: I, I am. We have Dora Esquivel. Um I hope I pronounced that correctly, please. Um, yeah. And <laughs> Dora Dora is a is a brand new author, and and uh, she's going to tell us all about her books and and the and, uh, process and how she put it all together.
0: So, Dora, why did you decide to write? I'm sorry. Why did you decide to write? Decide to write.
2: <coughs> um, <coughs> I'm sorry. Excuse me. I decided. Um, I've been writing for a long time since I was little, but I didn't make the move. Um. Just a few years back. And and then... uh, So, about four years ago, I wrote uh, some books. They did okay. They did well. But I was also a caregiver. Uh, So, my mom passed uh, last year. So, I was finally able to write some this year. Uh, So, I'm just starting pretty much again new. You know, I just released uh, my new uh, contemporary... Uh, Mafia uh, book called Queen City uh, Bad Boys it's been selling pretty well so I'm excited about that Um, and um, just wait uh, next month I'll be releasing part two and I have some other uh, books uh, coming this fall Um,
0: so tell me why people are liking it so far tell me a little bit about it I'm sorry? tell me a little bit about the book
2: the, the book is, is deals with the Russian mafia and uh, uh, Mexican mafia. And it's an m m book. And it just kind of... My books are sometimes pretty dark and violent. And it does deal with the Russian mafia. And it uh, deals with... Uh, with revenge. And, uh, and the... Plotting destruction and pretty much taking over uh, Queen City, which is just a fictional city I, I made from my experience living in the West Coast. So, and uh, so I got a lot of inspiration from living near Seattle and Tacoma and all those and going up and down the West Coast. <clears throat> so the book starts there with the uh, eventual downfall of. Uh, I forgot. Uh, with it Pavel Kuba are the two Russian people uh, With Kuba being the main uh, Main guy The main mafioso And then uh, Pavel is the second In command And he Kuba uh, gets shot So there's a year of recovery And trying to get revenge And, and then it starts from there The uh,
0: what did, I what the the I guess the two mafias being involved together, you combining them. What do you think really made the readers enjoy the first book?
2: I think it's the uh, the stark. Uh, I guess the the darkness of it and the violence. Like it's not. I didn't hold back on that. Um, you know, blood in, blood out. Uh, with most crime people, crime families. Uh, the downfall of, of one empire for the gain of another one. and, so, and of course it's uh, relationships with, between these three men and uh, and how one uh, loses his mafioso title, his reign to another one and how he has to learn to adapt to, to that.
0: It sounds very intriguing. Do you want to make that into a, a series?
2: Yes, there's. Um, uh, I wrote, I wrote over a hundred k, so I had to divide it up in three parts because I couldn't, well, I couldn't afford all the editing for over a hundred k, um, you know, basically, or else I would have published all of it, but I couldn't afford the publishing for over a hundred k novel, so I had to cut it up in three pieces. So oh Yeah, wow. that's where we're yeah, that's oh, wow. where you're heading towards.
0: And so yeah. you, so you want the self-publishing route for the book? I'm sorry? You want the self-publishing route for the book with the, one of the vanity publishers? Is that what you did? I
2: haven't, I haven't tried. I've just been um, doing indie work, uh, you know, writing myself uh, and publishing myself, uh, trying to t- take on more of the marketing, learning more about marketing, because that's one skill for any indie author. <laughs> It's, they have uh, trouble
0: that's where you know that's why i am working with paul with uh, senior publishing and hollow Man publishing to help provide that and those marketing services because your book sounds fascinating where and we don't want to give away much more but where can we find more information on you and purchase your book do you have a website for people to go
2: i don't have a website yet um since i just came back from to writing and hopefully i'll have a uh, website up this month. By the end of this month, I'm hoping to have one up. Uh, but all my work right now is with Kindle Unlimited, so you can get it there um, under my name, Dora Esquivel, You can find it there or Queen City Bad Boys. Um, and like I said, I will be releasing the second part uh, next month. So I didn't want to leave people, you know, three, three or six months waiting for another book. I had written it already. Uh, the poor, four years that I was taking care of my mother.
0: Okay, well, we appreciate it. Thanks again for coming by.
2: No, thank you for the
7: invitation. Thank You're
2: you. You're welcome.
0: You're listening and watching the Neil Haley Show, we'll be back in just a moment.
7: Hello, everyone. My name is Courtney, and I am a guest host on the Woman CEO in Reflection Podcast, and I'm here with my co-host Neil Haley and Nikki Frias How you doing, girl? As you can see, she's full of personality. I'm good. Y'all. How are you doing? I'm doing great. So Nikki <laughs> Frias is, is the author of Does This Divorce Make Me Look Fat? And the creator of GirlTellme.com. She's contributed to publications like Pop Sugar, Forbes, Boardroom, and The Daily Beast on her mission to writer domination taking over the world. That's not in there. I added it. <laughs> She's currently teaches at Washington Improv Theater. And her second book, Damn, You Still Single, will be released in October of 2023. Hey, Nikki girl, how you doing?
3: Hi, I'm good. How are you?
7: I'm doing amazing. I'm so glad that you could join me today. So I met Nikki through a program called Hey Young Writers, where both of us were um we got to do workshops for free for other writers and I actually joined Nikki's workshop and it was her personality such a great storyteller and so my question to you is have you always had this gift of storytelling and writing and like how did you come to the decision that you wanted to be an author or a writer?
3: Wow um
8: First of all, thank you so much for having me. This is so fun. I'm really excited as I drive, but I'm being very safe. So at least I'm wearing my seatbelt. (laughs) Um, So um, I will tell you in regards to storytelling, I've always been a storyteller. I always blame it on my childhood trauma, but that's another story, right? Um, But in regards to, you know, just being the funny person, um, I've always been super attracted to performing in some type of way. Um and I honestly hated writing. I've been writing maybe now for about four and a half, five years, more seriously. But before then, I did plays, I did stand-up, I did improv, I performing, but I started to notice that some things were becoming more draining and other things were not. So it was kind of like the Goldilocks of figuring out what I wanted to do. So I would do stand-up and I was like, "Mm, it's a little too draining. I don't really like the environment okay, that one's, you know, not right. And then I would do plays. And then I'd be like, well, this takes a lot of time. So I don't want to do that either. Um, And I ended up on writing because I was like, I can make people laugh and I don't have to be there. I can, you can mind your business, get the humor when you want to, you can put it down, you can go away. And I can still like have my own like energy. And I can kind of savor that. So writing is very new to me, but it just came after years and years of trying to find the type of comedy where I feel comfortable being able to like produce, but also not have the expectation of being there.
0: Yeah. I love that. You know, I I I was saying Nikki, so basically you figured it out. And you were able to put that spin on things right you took specifically enough what you didn't like doing but you want to make people laugh in writing how challenging was it to build the audience you built Because everyone talks about how we build an audience, right? I build it on my radio show to uh, numbers even bigger than what we talked about before, the 5 million a week where I'm on National City Radio, I have a podcast, number 11 celebrity podcast in World According to Feedspot, all these things. But I put so much time and effort. Did you have to do the same thing in writing to get yourself known out there as a writer?
8: Um, So when it came to writing for publications like Forbes, like the bigger guys, I always am just of the mindset of like, I don't know, but I'm going to try it. I just try to do things that are that make me scared. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. I still am. You know, I still struggle with the confidence that comes with writing in certain aspects of it in regards to building the platform. Um, I do it every day. You know what I mean? Like the book was not easy. It was not something that was just kind of like, all right, well, like, let's just see what happens here. But I think a big reason why um, I'm starting to get more people that are enjoying the book and things like that is because I just don't care. Right. Um, I think at a certain point, you have to determine what success is to you. And my success was just getting out the book. I think mm-hmm. if I had an of published author to be like, I'm going to put a book out. And I think we do this as people, right? We're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to put something out and it's going to explode. And then the only people that read it or listen are your mom and your close friends, right? So for me to kind of build more of a following and things like that was definitely just putting myself out there in regards to being like, you know, I'm I'm on the grind. I'm at Barnes and Noble.
1: like.